University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. When I was a kid, uh, we did one of those gym mining deals, you know, where you get a bucket full of mud, start sifting it through the water to discover what you find, and believe it or not, I found gold. It was amazing. It was a big old piece of gold. It was about the size of, of my hand. And to, to an eight-year-old, that's a pretty big deal. I was rich, and I knew exactly what I was going to buy with my newfound fortune. Of course, after I had think of gold. But my sense of elation was quickly squelched by the mining owner who informed me that what I found was fool's gold. It was essentially worthless. The thought of real gold had sent me into a tizzy of all the things that I could buy and that I could own. Why is that a natural impulse within an eight-year-old, let alone anyone who comes to finding more money and resources than we had before? What if they'll satisfy, but under the surface, what we're chasing after is just fake and worthless? Can we be done with such pursuits? The Christian calendar has this season called Lent in which we are called to be done with things for 40 days. The idea is it draws us closer to God as we invest more time in praying through fasting and giving and serving. Things, But he actually calls us to giving up our life saves it. And this week, the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be moment? It's the moment that someone begins to imagine them being thrown off by some imbecile thinking they have something good to say in the middle of their stand-up act. As one comedian famously responded to one particular heckler, Hey, what's your name and where do you work? Because I'm going to show up on Monday, interrupt your job, telling you how I think I could do it so much better than you could. <laughs> so, view of the religious self-right, praise God and walk through the religious motions while taking advantage of the poor and looking past the needs of their community. And apparently what was so important, I guess he thought he had seen Jesus help people, the sick, the hurting, the marginalized, so why not him? But Jesus sees right through this guy's character and his intentions. And I adore how Jesus responds uh, to the issue in verse 14. In verse 15, he goes on to say, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Oh, hold on. Jesus, so challenging to many. Most of us are 100% on with Jesus when he talks about God's love, about being forgiven, about the grace that God pours into our life, and about life everlasting in the age to come. But we start to have issues with Jesus when we cautions them. To watch means numerically wanting more. Proverbs 15, 27 says, The greedy bring ruin to their household. Proverbs 28, 25 says, The greedy stir up conflict. So a biblical example. David was, the, he had defeated the giant, he had united the kingdom, pregnant, then had the guy killed off and tried to hide it. That's greed. 
The second word he uses here is abundance, which literally translates to exceed, to have leftovers, to overflow. So we're not just talking about having enough or being comfortable, but exceeding all. The word actually translates to be or to exist. It's almost as if the word is trying to tell us that when we pursue possessions, we can against all kinds of greed because Abundance of possessions doesn't sum up who you are. Now that'll preach a thousand words on the desires of possessions. I don't know it will. But really zero into what Jesus said in the latter part of verse 15. It says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is drawing a clear correlation between the pursuit of more stuff and abundance of possessions in the meaning of life. Jesus isn't just talking about money or wealth or or greed. Jesus is having a conversation about the purpose of life. Why we get up each day. And why most of us would say that we're not in it for the money. Our life isn't directed by the stuff we want to own. Or the meaning of our existence is not bent around these things. But to illustrate his point, Jesus is going to tell a parable in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say, so this farmer yields a fantastic thing. He tears, gained his wealth illegally by taking it. To have been somewhat surprised by his good fortune, he makes what appears to be a reasonable plan to reap the abundance of his harvest. So what's wrong with this picture? But God said to get what you have prepared for yourself. Ford God will be also. The core of this parable is is not actually about riches or wealth and unable to provide for success. And if this isn't proof towards God, so Jesus is not saying that God does not want you to have wealth or any comfort in your life. Deep breath. But this is about something much deeper and unseen. Something beyond overflowing barns and do and who we are. That's for the farmer in the parable, his mind said he could finally come to a place of ease, eating, drinking, and being merry. And there's nothing wrong with the desires to eat, drink, and be merry. How often do we see that Jesus compares the kingdom of God and the, the gospels to a great party? Wasn't Jesus' first miracle turning water into wine? This man is so fixed on his purpose, on this future ideal of happiness, that he's going to do whatever it takes to get there. And he says to myself, his heart has become so fixated on the treasure of future success, future comfort, future ease, that he'll do whatever it takes to make that future happen. And when this parable is placed in the context of Jesus' other ministries and teaching— then we know that this has the other major failing of this man's success is that he failed to see that God also blessed him with surplus so that he could eat and drink and be merry while others continue to have hurt and need and suffer. Does your mind in the rich man who cared only for himself and not the plight of the beggar outside his gates? For where your treasure is, has the same issue. He's so fixated on the treasure that he needs now 
that his mission is to get what typically we take about consuming ourselves in the present and for future success and comfort. The second route is that we say that we don't have a purpose issue in our life. I know what motivates and drives me. Thank you very much. But can we allow ourselves to wrestle with the text within our soul, considering what we truly pursue, what determines how we will live our lives and who we are becoming? And where do we even begin to ask the difficult questions about our purpose and about our drive? A couple weeks ago, I heard this line. How much longer are you going to be working on that project, Daddy? It's what one of my, I had multiple nights of committee meetings, and then I found myself using my day off to work on two of my research papers that are due really self, and she was out in the yard uh, expanding the natural areas, doing the beautiful work she does in our yard. And yet in that moment, as one of our girls asked how much longer it was going to be until we were free, it had nothing to do with needing us for wanting something, like was just to play with us. They say if you don't know where your heart desires, then follow your money all to be honest with ourselves and to begin to see how we look at the way that we use our time and our money. It says a lot about what we desire in our life. If you were to thumb through your most recent credit card statement or calendar app, you might see your passions and your interest, and your time, and your attention, and the things that we care about. For many, that treasure is work. And there's a difference between work and being a workaholic. There's a difference between doing your job well and obsessing over your work that it consumes every waking thought and time affecting your relationships. For others, the treasure is being known, uh, knowing what's going on in other people's lives. And so we find ourselves in an endless spiral of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and YouTube. And virtually people's treasure is to know downtime, no space for openness to others, no capacity to see what's going on in the world outside the one that we've organized and filled for ourselves. On some Saturdays in the fall is conversations we spend all around a game. If you want to know what your treasure is, then look at how you spend your time and your money. Relationships, vacation homes, cars, restaurants, craft, beers, fine ones, clothes, politics, news. Jesus, here's where we get it wrong, and often we get offended when pastors talk about things like this. There is nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. I'll be the first to say that I've really enjoyed watching every single one of Alabama's six national championships over the last decade plus. And I've really enjoyed watching the one LSU one. So where is the blunder in these interests and passions? How do we relate to the parable of the bigger barns? Recently, Jennifer and I were filthy rich. And the wing of the corporation that made them all their money was this cable news outlet that they used to manipulate their audience to garner constant attention, which translates into more. It means they have to stab each other in the back. This is the heart of the parable. The human heart follows what it treasures with more time and money and attention. And what the heart doesn't realize is that it's on an endless cycle of more. For the farmer in the parable, more crops meant bigger barns, which meant greater surplus for more future success and comfort. 
He tells himself that he will do He didn't realize that he so does that carrot. No matter how fast or how far he goes, that carrot is still going to be out of his reach. And secure and successful that we always have to have more clothes, better seats at the game, more power, more stuff, more money, bigger houses, a better by getting ahead, even if others continue to suffer. There's no end to it. We'll never be content. There's always going to be a bigger project to accomplish, more gadgets to buy, more events to attend, one more restaurant to check out, one more meeting to sit through, one more, one more, one more. The Bible has some wisdom on the pursuit of more. It says, those who love more will never be satisfied with more, nor those who love more with their moreness. This is all a vanity. Do we even know what we want? Could it be that the reason we run after all these things is that we've never been properly taught what the purpose of life is actually about? When we tear down these barns and build bigger ones to fill with more grain, only to eventually tear those down to build even more for more grain. The point of the parable is Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't have wealth and comfort and happiness and things you enjoy and have stuff. The end. I think Jesus is trying to raise questions within our soul of what we really want. What's the point of all this? What's the point of time on fill in the blank? Maybe the root of this parable is to force us to ask that question of why. Why do I do this? Why do I tumble into the cycle of more? Why do I tear down smaller barns to build bigger ones? Why do I do what I do? Why do I exist? And James puts it this way in James 4.14, and God knows we can spend our life is about. And this is the turning point that Jesus is trying to get us to in the parable of the bigger barns. What you invest your heart in says to us, self but is not rich towards God. But then he says, do not be afraid. Give the money to the poor. Provide a purse, come, nor, nor moth destroy. For where, as if it wasn't obvious enough to become moth-ridden, or someone else can just take it from us. Alternatively, Jesus assures us that to follow him will lead us out of the cycle of more and into investing things that will transform our life and the world. In no way is Jesus telling us to stop working out, stop investing financially, stop going to football games, stop enjoying fine food, but instead he's asking us to recenter our lives on him so that through his way, we might have eyes to see what this life is really about. As we become less consumed with more, God begins to open our eyes up to see that maybe God has provided us with abundance so that we can provide for other people of God and the world. Jesus is asking us to invite us. He's inviting us to invest in the work of the kingdom. The parable begs the question, are we consumers or investors in Jesus. And if we are investors in Jesus, just how much? Are we so much of an investor in Jesus that we're willing to tear down smaller barns and build bigger ones? With Jesus are on a pathway to success. And what is our worry? For if we invest our lives in Jesus, kingdom. That's not a kingdom of Rome that rose and fell. 
That's not a kingdom of European colonists that spread the world over the other. No, this is the kingdom of God that Jesus described as where the poor are given rights and provisions. The hungry are fed to satisfaction. Those who are at the table and those who are in need are built up. Barriers are torn down. The excluded are welcome to the table, are given radiant light. That's a kingdom worth investing in. And so this morning, from Jesus' parable, and may we have a time of silent reflection, meditating on the text, and how God is speaking to you this morning.